Welcome to Into the Sky, a podcast about the iconic Avro Vulcan XH558. I'm Martin Price and this is Season 2, where you'll hear from people close to XH558. From pilots who have flown her, to the volunteers who look after her, and the team who are in charge of securing her future. Join us as we explore the history of this magnificent aircraft and learn about how she will inspire the next generation of engineers through STEM education. Look into the past to improve the future. Joining us on today's episode is a gent with a true understanding and passion for the Vulcan. A gentleman who has done some amazing things with this aircraft. Now a volunteer at the Vulcan to the Sky Trust. Here with us is retired Wing Commander Adrian Sunder, who has agreed to tell us his remarkable journey with the Vulcan over the years in the RAF and why it is so important to preserve this remarkable aircraft and its heritage. Hello, Adrian. Well, hello, Marty. So, Adrian, you've had a very long career in the RAF. You've done some amazing things, but would you mind telling us about when you first saw the Vulcan, please? Yes, well, uh, being a, a Kentish man, uh, I was born in Gravesend, and uh, I used to go along to Biggin Hill uh, for the Battle of Britain Open Days in the late 1950s. Yes, I am that old. And it was there that uh, I first saw the Vulcan flying, uh, well, a number of years, uh, we went uh, we went one after the other. It, uh, it, well, it, it might have instilled some passion in me, I don't know, but uh, it was certainly... Uh, Certainly a sight to see in those days, and I remember it very well. But of course, uh, you can't just join the Air Force, become a Vulcan pilot. So uh, what I did was I, I left school at 18 and joined the Air Force straight away. I joined on what they called a direct entry commission, Type A, and that was to my 38th birthday or 16 years of service. And uh, I went down to a place called South Cerny, uh, after I'd done the aptitude test at Biggin Hill, that is. And then from South Surrey, I became an officer, but I'd never flown an aircraft. So what uh, they did after I passed out of South Surrey as an acting pilot officer in, in 1967, I then uh, went to Church Fenton, which is up near York, for 30 hours on the chipmunk to see whether I could actually fly aeroplanes. And from there, I went to the Jet Provost. I obviously succeeded there and went to the Jet Provost at Leeming, which is up on the A1, um, a bit further north, as you know, up by Harrogate. And I did 150 hours on Jet Provost up there. And it's there that I got my wings. And coincidentally, and there's a, there's a number of coincidences, I think, through my, uh, my career, that the person that gave me my wings was a chap called, uh, well, his, his nickname was Cyclops Brown. He was an air commodore who only had one eye. The story is he used to fly with the co-pilot also, and he had one eye, so they had two eyes between them. But anyway, but I found out latterly that he was station commander at Waddington, was an ex-Falcon pilot, and I didn't know that till till quite a bit uh, later on. In fact, only in the last few years I, I found that out. But from Leeming, I went down to a place called Oakington, which is down near Huntingdon, and did uh, about 80 hours on the, on the Varsity, and that's the twin-piston aircraft, the Vickers Varsity, uh, and from there, they actually, well, I had to make the decision on which aircraft I wanted to fly. In my day, if you went multi-engine, and I was obviously on the multi-engine track at that stage, you stayed multi-engine. And so at the end of the course, they came up with all these wonderful aircraft that you could go on to, the Hercules, the Vichy-10, and the V-Force, so the Victor and the Vulcan. 
And I thought I'd be something, I'll be different. I'll go for the Vulcan because I'll probably get my first choice. If I went for the Hercules, I probably wouldn't get it. So I went for the Vulcan and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. But from there, it wasn't straightforward. I had to wait another year before I could get a course. And so luckily I had a, had a, um, a holding position on the varsity itself over at RF Watton, which was in Norfolk uh, in those days. And half the tour, half of 1969 I spent there. The rest, I then moved across to Cottesmore. And coincidentally, of course, why was Cottesmore empty? Because the Vulcans had moved out of there and they'd gone to Cyprus. So it, it, was, it was me sort of almost following the Vulcan crowd, unbeknown at that stage. And then in 1970, I finally got my course at uh, Scampton, the OCU. There, and then they moved across from Finningley in 1969, but they'd left the simulator back at Finningley. So I had to do the simulator at Finningley and then the rest of the flying course over at Scampton. My course over there had three crews on it. Uh, two were going to Cyprus to replace those crews that initially went from Cottesmore out to Cyprus and they come to the end of their time there. So we were the fresh, uh, fresh crews going out to replace them. And uh, one was staying at Scampton. Luckily, I uh, well, the new boss of Nine Squadron chose me as his co-pilot, and that was really fantastic from my point of view. So eventually, after four years of training, I was posted to my first operational aircraft, and that's in RAF Akrotiri on Nine Squadron in Cyprus. Oh, nice. That's a nice posting to be having. It certainly was. Uh, I had a year there unaccompanied, and then I came back and married my, my current wife. So we've been married 53 years this year. And it's easy if you get married on a, on a zero, 1970, then it's easy to work out your uh, number of years. Because everybody asks, how long have you been married? <laughs> <laughs> she came out and enjoyed it, but uh, she then became a follower, of course, and uh, she was a teacher. And, uh, and it's very difficult to get jobs when you're moving every three years through the Air Force. But um, mm. that's another Good. story. So you're posted to Cyprus. Um, you was out there for how many years were you in Cyprus? Do you say three years? No, I was only there two years. In fact, the the reason the reason for that was uh, well, certain factors. Uh, if I there was a, a wonderful trip from there. Of course, being the boss's co-pilot, I used to obviously follow him around and, and go where he wanted to go. And we had this opportunity to go to New Zealand, so we actually took a Vulcan down to New Zealand while I was there, and so that gave me a lot of experience that I wouldn't have otherwise had of uh, flying to all these foreign countries or through the foreign countries, a, a number of them. Whether it's because of that, whether it's because he liked me, but I actually got accelerated promotion to flight lieutenant, and uh, that helped. And so uh, and he obviously thought and gave me good write-ups, the fact that uh, I ended up going back to get my own crew as a Vulcan captain at the age of 24. I went right. back uh, only after two years. Right. So... Um, so that actually was was great from my point of view, but uh, leaving Cyprus was 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 quite hard. I can imagine that, yeah. So as you've just mentioned, you went back to Waddington. You're 24 year old. You've got your your own crew by now. Wasn't this another time when you did another one of those amazing things with the Vulcan as well? Probably another one that really sticks out in your mind. I don't know what the attraction was, but I seemed to pick up wing commanders, uh, bosses. Um, as I say, I was the boss's co-pilot on Nine Squadron, but when I uh, got my own crew, I went through the OCU, arrived on 44 Squadron at Waddington, 
and uh, there was a bit of a change around and uh, the boss, the new boss there, actually came as my radar. So I had uh, my boss in the back of my aircraft. Now that has its pluses and minuses, of course, as you can imagine. Airborne, I'm the boss and on the ground, he's the boss. But uh, of course, you know, things could get a little little hot under the collar if you're not careful. <laughs> but it it did work in my in from my perspective in that uh, there was this opportunity. We still in those days. This is we're talking about the early seventies. Still the early seventies. We still had a commitment to the Far East, and this was post the uh, Malaysian conflict and the Indonesian confrontation, and it was called Exercise Sunflower. So what it meant was we could travel out to uh, Singapore, Tenga in Singapore and uh, to reinforce at a moment's notice. And to get there, of course, you could fly either west about or east about out through there. And uh, what we had were staging posts around the world where there was RAF personnel. That's both west about and east about. So on the west about, it was Canada and America, then out to Hawaii, out to Wake Island in the middle of the Pacific, Guam, and then down to Singapore, or you go east about to Cyprus, uh, down to Mazira in the Arabian Sea, out to Gan in the Maldives, and then out to Singapore. But each of those staging posts had uh, RAF personnel, as I say. We can talk about a little bit about one of those later on, um, because I ended up on one of them. But this trip was was basically, um, we went out west about, boss decided to go west about, and we flew out to Singapore. We actually went via Darwin in Australia, on the way to Singapore from from Guam, because they had some uh, thousand pounders there, which were Timex. So we dropped a few thousand pounders on the range out there before we went up to Singapore. Having the boss on my crew, he suddenly decided that he wanted to go to Hong Kong whilst we were there. So uh, I said, "Well, I couldn't refuse that," but that wasn't easy to do because you couldn't just go to uh, Hong Kong in those days because RAF Kai Tak was on the main international airport. And whether you know the approach were into one of the approaches was called the checkerboard approach. And it was thought to be quite difficult for a large aircraft because there was a right angle turn and about 600 feet um, before you actually got onto the final approach. And uh, the RAF had this uh, thing that you had to go up on the flight deck of another aircraft to see the approach before you were allowed to go up there. So I had to do that. I went up on a VC tail. I saw the approach, I came back to Singapore, and then we flew up there uh, for the weekend and uh, had a jolly good weekend and came away. The thing was, we didn't do the checkerboard approach, we landed on the other end and we took off the other way out to sea. But you, you never know with these things which way they, the winds are going to blow in your favour or not in your favour. <laughs> and then from uh, Singapore, uh, because I had the boss on my crew, I suppose, he said he wanted to go all the way around. And so in the end... We ended up flying back to UK, uh, the reverse, to Gang, to uh, Mazira, to uh, Cyprus, Akrotirian, and back to Waddington. And the total number of hours, although it doesn't reflect too much, it was sixty, just over 65 hours, I think, we did on that whole trip around the world. The aircraft, incidentally, is the one at Cosford, uh, which is in the Cold, Cold War Museum. It's right, called X7598. Mm -hmm. I like to think it's there because I did that trip and it's my aeroplane, but that's not the case. <laughs> it was the primary aircraft for the Falklands War 
it's the aircraft that famously uh, they couldn't uh, pressurize because it had a problem with uh, the DV window, the direct vision window. And so it then became the spare for all the missions on the Falklands, uh, in the Falklands War. So that's why it's in the museum. But I have uh, obviously fond memories of flying it around the world. At the end of that tour, I went away to become a qualified flying instructor uh, at Little Risington, the home of Central Flying School. So I actually left the V-Force to go and do that. Uh, it wasn't unusual for people to go, go away and become a flying instructor in those days. Having got that qualification, I didn't go straight back to the uh, the Vulcan. I went up to uh, what the to one of the university air squadrons. In fact, Glasgow University Air Squadron was called UGSAS, the University of Glasgow and Strathclyde Air Squadron, where we flew from Glasgow Airport, Abbotsinch, in the Bordock. And that's what I trained on as a QFI. So I instructed there for a couple of years. But during that time, I got promoted. And uh, they were obviously uh, wanting to look for flight commanders back in the V-Force. So I got mm -hmm. sucked back from there, back to Waddington. And that's when I, I went back to Waddington of 50 Squadron as a squadron leader. Yeah. Okay. And it was whilst you were back at Waddington that I believe you ended up doing something else, which was quite spectacular with the Vulcan as well. In those days, it was interesting that each squadron had their own display, uh, display pilot or display crew. Because I, uh, I, at that stage, I had, uh, what, over 2,000 hours on the aircraft. And I had the experience of, of doing all sorts of things, all it has, as I've, I've sort of iterated, that um, I was chosen to do the 1980 display season with my crew. And uh, each uh, display crew as well were, were lucky enough to get an overseas display as well as uh, displaying around the UK. Um, so I did things like the uh, the Church Fenton display at home here on uh, during that year, mm -hmm. and uh, the, the overseas we got was a place called Portage La Prairie. And you're going to say, "Where's Portage La Prairie?" Absolutely, yes. Where is it? About a, it's about a hundred miles straight west of Winnipeg, right in the middle of um, in Canada. I think it was a grass airfield. Um, we certainly couldn't land there anyway, um, so we had to base ourselves at Winnipeg and go and fly it and do the display over over at Portage. Then we landed back at Winnipeg. And then, of course, we, we wanted the after-show after sort of entertainment, and uh, they wanted us back to say hi. So we actually then drove back to Portage in a straight line and then back to Winnipeg afterwards. <laughs> so it's a... It's, it was a it was it was quite a quite a mammoth task, but uh, but we did it and, uh, and we thoroughly enjoyed the uh, time in Canada. But that crew, uh, it does show how how the crew system worked in the B force and obviously worked back in the in the days of Lancasters and everything else because we are still together in that we we meet periodically. The last time we met was uh, two years ago on our forty first anniversary of, uh, of not having been together we still we meet with the wives and uh, I, I think I've told you before that when, when we do do things like that it takes about 15 minutes and you're back to where you were 10 years ago and back to where we were probably 40 years ago mm. the crew system it, it just worked because we were we, we became very good friends and you had to be um, mm. if you were going to go on on the real mission uh, yeah, I would imagine so, working in close proximity like that. And, of course, uh, you've got to work as a team to make that work, haven't you? Yes, you have. And you've got, you've got to uh, rely on each other. Uh, 
and uh, I think uh, we we had a had a good team at the end, and, and uh, as I say, we, uh, we 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 had that understanding between us. Previously, when we were to, when you were talking about you flying around the world in the Vulcan, you mentioned that there was one place that you landed at, which you actually ended up getting posted to. I believe that was in America. Is that correct? Yes, yes. It's a place called Offutt Air Force Base, which is in Omaha, Nebraska, or just by Omaha, Nebraska. It's the home of Street Strategic Air Command. Basically, we we had there was there was an opportunity for crews number one to go to Goose Bay in Labrador to do winter training and summer training, but that was a good opportunity to fly north of the tree line uh, and particularly winter when the when the snow was there. The the actual combination of trying to fly visually and on instruments over vast areas, which is just flat, vast areas, snow-covered uh, um, land, was, was quite challenging. And the second thing the crews could do then is come down to Offutt, which is obviously in the center of America. It's 1,500 miles from either coast, so it is right in the middle of America. And uh, from there, we used to fly around the, or the crews used to fly around the, the uh, central states. That's uh, South Dakota, Iowa, Nebraska, um, Kansas, Arkansas, those sort of areas, all those states are very flat and, uh, and it's simulating the steppes of, uh, of Russia, uh, was why we were there. So, and the, uh, so the crews came down. So my detachment there, uh, there was 26 on the detachment, including myself and my deputy. I had a flight lieutenant deputy and then we had 22 of our airmen there were actually qualified Vulcan engineers. So we handled not only the Vulcans, but if there was any other aircraft, RAF aircraft, going through staging as we say that out to uh, the west coast of America or staging right the way out to the Far East, then they came through us and we handled the aircraft as they went through. Little did I know that when I went there, I was going to be the last detachment commander because at that stage, we had started, in fact, giving aircraft away and the, it was the demise of the aircraft, uh, demise of the Vulcan. But the detachment, would you believe, have been there 25 years. So it is a very sad day when I had, when I had to close it. Um, but it was a great day, and uh, I had to arrange a, a big um, display. We had uh, four Vulcans came out, one of which we left in the museum there, XM573. It's still out there. We gave it to the SAC Museum. They then subsequently built a brand-new museum. Initially, it was on the airfield but they built a brand new museum off the airfield and they, they took apart all the aircraft and actually moved them. And I thought perhaps they'd leave the Vulcan behind because it's not a SAC aircraft, mm. but they didn't. They uh, took it apart and there's some wonderful photographs on low loaders and took it down the road. And, uh, and it's now in the, in the museum, in the SAC museum on the I-80 on the interstate, or just off the interstate. Interesting enough, um, it was inside and then it was moved outside, sat outside for a number of years. And in the uh, Midwest weather, that is not good because mm. in the winter, you can get it down to minus whatever, I don't know, 16 degrees, certainly plus 100 degrees in the summer Fahrenheit. But then it went back inside. Well, in fact, it's inside at the moment uh, being refurbished. So it went in in May, I think, 2022, and it's still inside at the moment. So that's brilliant. So I'm very pleased that, uh, you know, there are a number of Vulcans around the world that are actually being conserved 
undercover, which is important. But uh, as I say, the, the the other good thing about the American uh, uh, tour was was I had the family with me, and we all had our families there. Yeah. So in fact, we we were just a twenty odd um, airmen. Uh, we were uh, actually almost a hundred in number with the children and with the with the wives. So that was uh, that was quite uh, something when we all got together, and uh, it was just uh, very enjoyable from lots of points of view from our family owned to it. We were able to see a lot of the states. In fact, I think we uh, travelled around thirty-five states while we were there. So I've seen a fair amount of it, America as well as the world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And how long would how long were we out there in America? It was it was just under two years. In fact, it was about two years in the end, mm-hmm. purely because they'd had the war. They continued giving the aircraft away. Uh, we were there during the Falklands War. The story is that uh, we'd just given an aircraft away to um, Castle Air Force, a uh, Castle Air Force Base Museum out in California. Mm. The reason we were giving them to various airfields was uh, because of the SAC bombing competition, which the Vulcan used to participate in over the years. And, uh, and of course, uh, that castle was a, was a SAC uh, Air Force Base at the time. And they had a museum. They requested an aircraft and got one. But uh, when the Falklands happened, uh, we went back to air-to-air refueling. My trip around the world, we never air-to-air refueled on that trip, and we didn't have to for our day-to-day uh, bread-and-butter trips. We didn't require it. In fact, it was a nuisance to us because uh, a lot of leaks had appeared in the system, and you used to get fuel coming back over the windscreen. Thank goodness we have windscreen wipers. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and so they put a lot of non-return valves into the system. So once the Falklands happened, of course, they went back to air-to-air refueling, and that was something that uh, obviously Martin Withers and the, and the crews had to had to learn. Because of that, then they had to take all these non-return bells out, and also they wanted spare um, air-to-air refueling uh, probes, not only as spares, but also they, they fitted them onto the Nimrod, because the Nimrod was also down there as a search and rescue aircraft, and that had not had the or didn't have the capability of air-to-air refueling, and they used the, the same Vulcan probe on the on the Nimrod. So I had to send some of my team out to Castle to take the nose probe off the aircraft and send it back. As, so that's my little participation in the war, which is actually mentioned in one of the books. Uh, well, in fact, it's an XM six hundred seven book on one of the pages there that my crew, my, some of my airmen went across there. Right, fabulous stuff. So when you finished in America, did you actually think that that was the end of your relationship with the Vulcan? Uh, I did because uh, I ended up, uh, well, I'd only been in about 15 years at that stage. And in fact, I completed 32 years in the Air Force. For the next 15 years, I got involved in, well, I initially came back to RF Lossiemouth, which you've probably seen on the television in the Top Gun series that's running at the moment. Yeah, uh, that, uh, and that's including nine squadron, of course, my old squadron, which is now up there. So we did a tour up there in northern Scotland for three years. And then I got, as you do, you get sucked back. I, I got back to Finningley, where I ran the Dominey squadron for nav training. I then went off to Brampton and did a headquarters uh, job. And then I went back to Finningley as OC Ops. So I did two tours at Finningley. Um, in fact, uh, the hangar where the Vulcan... Uh, was uh, originally in, in Hangar 3, um, was where I, my office was on both occasions. So uh, wow. it was great to get back as a, as, as a volunteer. 
that was that was what filled the next 15 years and eventually i went off to staff college as well um, which was at greenwich but that's another story it was called jstc joint services defense college so i spent just under a year down at greenwich actually in the in the college itself which is a fantastic place and i was very lucky to get on that course mm-hmm. but that gave me the the background to get my promotion which, uh, as I said, then I got promoted the week while, which was the posting back to Fittingly as OCOPS. And then finally, I, I did a tour in Shape, uh, a NATO tour in, in Belgium, a Mons in Belgium, Shape, the uh, Supreme Headquarters Allied Powers Europe, from where I, I left the service. Right. So you finished your service in Belgium then, did you? I did. Then I came back temporarily uh, to Cranwell for a short time, uh, as a reservist, and then uh, eventually I, I flew for a couple of small airlines, and then eventually, 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 ended up flying for the Navy down at uh, RNAS Royal Naval Station, Cold Roads, down on mm-hmm. the Lizard. Wow. So I flew for forty-one years. Uh, wow. I've got uh, just about ten thousand flying hours, two thousand three hundred of those, of course, on the Vulcan. Which brings me nicely, of course. So. As you quite right, you just mentioned there you got two thousand three hundred flying hours on the Vulcan itself. So when you eventually came back to Finley, having moved back up north, what was it like for you when you came back as a volunteer to the Vulcan? How, what what were you feeling? What was your what was your your overall thoughts? The, the saddest part was uh, I've just said I was down at Cold Rose, and of course uh, during that time the aircraft was flying again. And uh, the sad thing was that I couldn't get involved because working down in Cornwall, it's just very difficult to get out on weekends uh, because of the traffic, etc. And it's just too far. So, uh, so that having moved back up here to to Retford, uh, I'm just within twenty twenty five minutes of, of Fittingly, and it was an opportunity for me to go up and uh, and see what was going on. And once I saw what was going on, I thought, well, I can uh, I can help them out here with my background. It was just wonderful to, number one, to start to get involved, and then to see this enthusiasm, not only enthusiasm amongst our volunteers, but I, I still can't believe when the public come along and look at the aircraft, get inside the aircraft and, and talk about it. And that, that just sat, that, uh, that atmosphere, just their, their interest in the aircraft and the it's just, you know, they all say it's a shame it's not flying now, but that, that's just the way of the world and unfortunately uh, the way it is. But uh, but despite that, they're still very interested. And as you know, we, we, we fire the engines up as well. But uh, yeah. that is even uh, even something that they uh, they just really love and uh, and appreciate. You know, it's just, it's just that. And I'm, I'm so glad I did it. But it's unbelievable thinking back to the fact I just made that choice to go down the Vulcan Avenue, uh, and it's just lovely to do this on, on the far end of my in, in my retirement. Sure, so. Yeah. So why do you think it's so important that the aircraft is preserved and that younger generations get to learn about it? Besides moving forward, I, I think the younger generation uh, has to look back. Because we are into STEM nowadays, uh, science, technology, uh, and engineering and, and, and mathematics that that is a, a common term we, we're short of engineers we're trying to get engineer uh, say kids um, and students to get involved in the engineering for the future and I think it's important to sort of see how it was in the past and 
and um, particularly the Vulcan in its own right, because it was ahead of its time when it came out. Um, it's got a very early fly-by-wire system and all sorts of things. And I, I think to appreciate the future, I think it's important to see the past. And actually, having had some students across from Sheffield University and various places and from Doncaster itself, it, it, it's seeing their interest and seeing, you know, the sort of questions they ask and, and how it was. And, uh, and I think they're always very surprised at the you know, sort of the, the technology that was involved in those days because it, it's not way back. It's, it's that interim period, you know, once it jets, it's, it's, it's post the war. As I say, it was a stepping stone to to uh, what we have in this in this day and age, mm. and hopefully inspire new things to come in greener energy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. So before we go, a personal question I'd like to ask you: right? that aircraft when she was in the sky was with the most graceful thing that I've ever seen fly. But what was she like to fly? There's a great phrase. They say it's, it was a joy to fly, and I, I think I think that's so true. It was it was quite easy to fly. In fact, flying is 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 the basic fl- flying. It, it, there's a few techniques you needed with the Vulcan because of uh, the fact that it doesn't have any flaps and it doesn't have this and that. But once you got used to that and you're used to the landing uh, and the landing attitude, the rest was uh, very straightforward. It was it was it was maneuverable. It was agile, and I think. That's that was that was very well demonstrated by uh, with the Vulcan display. The fact that you could display an aircraft of that size within the aircraft within the airfield boundary, and also, um, of course, in the early days, we used to enjoy the fact that it was so maneuverable, not only down low level, but it was really low because it was built for high level, and it was really maneuverable up there. When we used to do fighter and fill against uh, our lightning and things like that, that we could out turn them very easily. Because of the large wingspan, and uh, so in the in the rare air around forty fifty thousand feet, it was it was you could actually very easily outturn them. But it was again there; it was maneuverable. You, you always knew in the back of your mind that you had excess power, and I think that was important. In fact, you know, if you had to sort of uh, pull out um, quickly out of low level, for instance, when we went low level. Mm-hmm. Subsequent to the nineteen sixty, if you if you had weather bad weather or something you came across and you had to climb very rapidly or whatever, you always knew that you know just moving your right right hand or left hand, whichever seat you're sitting in, then uh, you could you could easily get away and and climb quite rapidly out of the situation. So not only did you have one of the most graceful aircraft, but you had you felt safe in it as well. Yes, yes. I think I think that's right, and I I also enjoyed the crew the crew um, aspect as well. Yeah. I'm not a single person flying a fighter. I I, I love the crew aspect, and, and from that point of view, it's very satisfying. So internally, for satisfying as well as externally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent stuff, Adrian. Thank you very much for your time. Much appreciate you talking to me. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Into the Sky. We do hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to keep looking out for more episodes on the way. And if you'd like to find out more about the work of the Vulcan to the Sky Trust, or maybe if you'd like to make a donation to help safeguard the future of XH558, please visit the website vulcantothesky.org.